1: When you're on fire, people will travel from miles around to watch you burn, baby. We are fired up.
0: The host of the Every Day is Saturday show, Sam Crowley.
1: Well, champion, welcome back to a bonus podcast, as promised. Uh, the previous podcast, if you listened to it, uh, was uh, my buddy Dave Lacani passed away this week. Was shocked. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Who is Dave? Well, this is the—I talked about him in the podcast previous this episode— is about an hour-long interview that was only available inside of my speaker success vault. Everybody paid a 1000 bucks for the course. This was an interview I did with Dave, audio interview. Kind of a bonus for all the members inside there. So this is where you'll get to hear Dave's story. And this was specifically created for people who want to become a professional speaker, get paid to speak. So we talk about that a lot as well. But uh, the audio quality, eh, it's okay. You know, not top-notch. Content, a plus so here you go the uh bonus interview with my buddy dave lacani who will be missed here you go all right hey everyone sam crowley welcome back to another awesome speaker training inside the speaker success vault for exclusive members only all the rock stars that want to launch your career as a speaker i got a good friend of mine as well as a a dynamic speaker and really an amazing story as well uh dave lacani dave are you with me buddy
0: I'm here. Thanks for having me, Sam.
1: Hey, it's great to have you, man. I'm going to share the story about how you and I connected actually at an event when I I saw you speak. And uh, do you remember that? That was a while. That was eight years
0: ago. Eight years ago. Yeah, it's a long time.
1: Wow. And you know what's funny is one of the things I remember about Dave Lacani speaking is how tall are you, man? I'm 6'5". Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed. And the second thing I know is a pretty imposing figure. And I was—I had my cell phone out, and I, I'm sure you don't remember this, but I believe if my memory serves me correct, I don't know the exact verbiage, but I was sitting in the very front rows, JV Alert Live in Philadelphia. It was the summer of 2007, and I was texting. This was even before I think, and I even knew how to send a text message. I was probably just trying to figure it out for the first time. And I was on my phone doing something, and you had just started speaking. And I believe, Dave, if I'm not mistaken, you actually threatened to smash my phone.
0: Yeah, crush your technology. That's uh, you know, it, it's very interesting because <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've been I've only had to do that a couple of times. You actually
1: and, have done that, no way. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, I've <laughs> I've smashed a couple of people's phones because <laughs> I, I give them fair warning in advance, and I say, listen, I'm I'm not here for your intellectual entertainment. I'm not here to you know be ignored. And so if you you know if if you can't the only exception that I'll take is if you're using some device to take notes, yeah. and you better be able to demonstrate it if I walk by, because if I see you texting, tweeting, anything else, then you know, here's what I'm going to say. Write those ideas down, do it later. Take a picture if you want to. I give everybody plenty of time to take pictures, but don't do it. So then, yeah, a couple of times I did. I smashed people's phones. They didn't believe I'd do it. And uh, you know, it's, it, it irritates people, but you only have to do that once or twice and the word gets around.
1: That is awesome. So if you're listening to Dave, we're literally like three minutes into this, two minutes into this, you, you wouldn't be surprised. The name of his company is called Bold Approach. So Dave, I don't want to do an introduction for you because I probably wouldn't do it justice. So it'd be better if you did it. Just tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Sure. Well, so I've been speaking for about, um, gosh, a long time now, 25 years or more, yeah. um, off and on. So I, you know, I, I started out and I didn't do it really regularly. It was, it was a very interesting start that I got when I was in the Army. I met Zig Ziglar, and Zig let me speak. He asked me to come, and I actually was soldier of the quarter, and I got to introduce uh, a bunch of people, uh, carry the flag. Um, I was in the army, and uh, at at a businessman's breakfast, and Zig Ziglar was the speaker there that day, and he talked to me afterwards, and I told him my story a little bit about how I'd grown up and how I ended up in the army and all that, and he said, "Oh, you should come talk to." Uh, one of my groups so I did and that kind of got that that set the hook for me that that got the bug and I said all right I'm going to learn how to speak it's actually more like 30 years ago now Um, and from that moment on I began to study speaking and really try and understand like what is it that that gets audiences motivated and what gets people engaged with you versus the the literally 20 or 30,000 other people in the United States that are trying to make a living as a speaker right now yeah and I started paying close attention to that. And the same story that I told Zig is the same story I tell today. And I, it, stories are the most important thing that speakers have to have. And I'm not just talking about the stories that you tell, the little anecdotes that make people laugh or make them cry or, or those things. Yeah. I'm talking about the core story of yourself. Who are you? And why should people care? And why should they connect with you? And my story was that I grew up in a religious cult from the time I was six until I was 16 years old. And during that time, uh, it was a, it was a very crazy time. In fact, I, I just spoke to a group of people who came out of that cult the other day, and it was a little surreal to be back in a group of people who were still conflicted. Wow! Uh, and, and to hear you know to hear their stories. But I, I grew up in this cult from the time I was six until I was sixteen. They believed in an end time prophet named William Branham. They believed he was a literal resurrection of the prophet Elijah from the Bible. And they believed in no education past sixth or seventh grade. Women had to be subservient to their husbands or corporal punishment was allowed. Uh, They believed uh, in a literal rapture that was supposed to have happened a number of times by now. This prophet had predicted dates and a number of different things. And it it was a group and an organization that was very restrictive and very challenging. And asking questions wasn't a great idea, but I was always full of them. So by the time I was about 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, I'd seen the cracks in the system, and I'd refused to get out of school. Every time they would say I have to get out of school, I'd say, okay, great, I'll go get my stuff, and when I do, I'm going to have to talk to my principal and tell him why I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing cults don't like is a lot of governmental scrutiny,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so they would always push it off, push it off. So I started putting pressure on my family instead. And, uh, I realized by the time I was 16 years old, I had to leave home or it was going to just destroy my family. So I packed everything that I had and it all fit in the back seat actually half the back seat of a 1970 Ford Falcon that I bought from the forest service and I left home wow. and uh, was excommunicated from the church. The last thing that happened is I went to church one last time. They laid their hands on me, prayed to God that he would turn my soul over to Satan for the destruction of my flesh, that I would be killed for my transgressions and sent on my way. I wasn't allowed to talk to my family or they to me. And was on my own. And so that was when I started really figuring out how to make money, how to hustle. And I'm not going to say that I did everything right. I, I mostly didn't. I made a lot of very poor decisions. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wasn't necessarily a very good person for a period of time. Um, and all of those things, though, led to the life that I have today. They, they built the character of who I am. And honestly, I didn't tell that story for a very long time. Even after I'd started speaking, I didn't tell people about it. I was ashamed of it and a little embarrassed by it. Mm -hmm. And I happened to be at a place one time where this woman was in crisis over a similar kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I had to say something. And so I started talking to her and I started telling her my story and saying, here's some things that I've done. And I noticed that people were like gathering around and listening. And they all had questions or they had their own stories and they wanted to talk to me and share with me, and I thought, "Wow, this is interesting." So then I tested it. I said, "I'm gonna," I, and it took a lot of courage, Sam, to, yeah. to really do that the first time and say, "I'm gonna tell this story on stage. I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk the, you know, the chance of being embarrassed, humiliated, <clears throat> ashamed, all of those things." Uh, but I'm gonna be really vulnerable, and I'm gonna tell this story, and I did, and and it really connected with people. And the truth of the matter was that story was the basis for my real expertise, which is human influence and persuasion. So when I left home at 16, my first stop was the Carnegie Public Library, and I began studying persuasion, influence, manipulation, heuristics of decision-making, psychology of belief, everything I could get my hands on to help understand how my mom made this crazy decision to raise me and my two younger brothers in this group. And... And so over you know, over a 30-year period, I've become fairly well-known as an applied persuasionist and somebody who really understands human behavior and persuasion in ways that allow people to get predictable results from other people. But it was that basis that got me to do that study. Had I not had that experience, I probably wouldn't have picked persuasion as something that I was intensely interested in. Who knows what it would have been? But it's still something that I study deeply today to continue to understand people. So... That that was a long sort of intro about who I am, but I built a company around that—a speaking business and an intellectual property business around that—called Bold Approach. I also do a great deal of consulting. My my business is my my business is a little bit different than most speakers' business. So I I have an you know I, I own a, a group of companies that I own percentages of that I act as an advisor in to help them grow to make their their businesses more profitable. So that's one piece of my business. I have the intellectual property piece of my business, which is all my courses, my books that are published by Wiley, um, all of my other intellectual property that I've created over the years, and then the third area is uh, is speaking. And so, so those three things support each other pretty fundamentally. And for most speakers, unless you're, you know, unless you're somebody who is a former politician. You know, an Olympic athlete, a professional athlete at the highest level, mm-hmm. uh, an astronaut, somebody like that—you're probably not going to make, you know, the the living that you really want to, as a speaker. And so you have to then look at it and say, what else can I do that leverage this platform that I love and these things that I love doing that allows me to make that income. And so then your income comes from multiple places. It comes from your speaking engagements, which you know any speaker could easily make. You know, a high five figure, six figure income a year if they try. Although, if you look at the average for the National Speakers Association, that number is under forty thousand dollars. So, the average NSA speaker makes under forty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Which is which is pretty pitiful, if you ask yeah. me. Yeah. And the it, so so, but if you look at that, you say, okay, well, I'm making forty thousand dollars a year from speaking, but if they're making another forty or fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year from from courses then, you know, now they're making a reasonable six-figure income, and if they add some books into that, make another twenty or 30000 a year from their books, you know, now they're making one hundred and thirty, dollars and then if they add in, in their subject matter expertise, some consulting agreement, some training agreements, if they do a few live events of their own, those kind of things, uh, now suddenly they're in that $200,000 range, and that's a, you know, that that's a good living for anybody.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Wow, that's a lot. You're right. Um <laughs> I could talk about your story or have you talk about your story, just your childhood for three hours, man. I know this is a
0: speaker training, but
1: what, uh, what is your daughter's name, Dave, by the way?
0: My daughter's name is Austria. Austria, correct. She's 10? She's actually 11, almost 12. She'll be 12 in March.
1: Oh, 11. Okay, she'll be 12 in March. Now, the one question I have, because I certainly don't have the childhood you talked about, but you know, my dad left when I was three months old and we, you know, there's always issues with in-laws mm-hmm. and family and things like that. What do you tell Austria when she asks about her grandparents or like, where, how did you grow up and things like that?
0: You know, it's, it's interesting because we talk about it very openly. And it's, it's very difficult for her to understand because she has a completely different
1: lifestyle
0: yeah. and a different life than, than I did. So, it, you know, when she asks me about things, there's there's one thing that I am, I have very strong feelings about parenting and mm-hmm. I'm very open with Austria. I don't, if she, if she can ask the question, she deserves the answer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which has been challenging at times when she came home at eight years old and asked me like, Hey, I heard this thing that somebody's sister said at school, you know, what is that? <laughs> okay. Swallow hard, Dave. You're about to explain <laughs> something that you didn't want to explain until she was a teenager maybe, uh... but you know, um, yeah. So, so when we talk about these things together, um, she'll ask, well, because and rightfully so, like she can't fathom why. Why would somebody do these things? Why would somebody, you know, act like this? Or she'll see me react to people in a way that, you know, because I so. As you as you may imagine, Sam, and, and you don't know me well enough to really know that. Like I, I've comported my life in a way I, I put up with very little BS.
1: Yeah, oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah,
0: and I also will not put up with other people treating people poorly. Yeah, and so I have I, intervened physically in people acting out badly and that kind of thing. And and Austria has seen that a couple of times where I've literally like gotten up in someone's face and said, "You're going to stop acting like this right now." And you're not going to treat this person like that. It's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And you're acting like a poor human being. And, and, and willing to stand that ground for people who couldn't. Now, that, that brings up a lot of questions with Austria. And we end up having a lot of conversations about what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Because I, I, I won't, I'll be the first one to say my reactions in those situations would not be politically correct yeah. for many people. But it's also not a way that I'm willing to live to allow other people to just get run over because they're not strong enough or capable to take care of themselves. So we end up having those conversations, and she has a lot of really great questions. You know, she'll ask me, what was it like? Because she didn't get to know my mom. My mom died in 1999. Austria was born in 2004. Mm-hmm. And my dad, she didn't know either. My I'm, I'm Pakistani, so, you know, my uh, my father came back to the United States, uh, my mom and dad divorced, but they came back to the United States when I was in my late 20s. And, um, you know, we we didn't have a really close relationship. And by the time Austria was born old enough to get to know him, he had died. Mm-hmm. And so she, she has a lot of questions. And it, it takes a lot of explanation, because part of being honest is not just telling her the idealized version of who my mom was, who I love intensely and deeply. My mom is you know, one of the, one of the greatest people I knew. And, and she really was a loving, caring mom who was doing the best she could and and got caught in a bad situation at a bad time and, and ended up in this place. But, you know, so, so it requires telling her the truth on both sides, how lovely and wonderful my mom was and also how she made poor decisions because it allows Austria to learn so that she doesn't make the same kinds of decisions or that she's not manipulated or pulled into something that she shouldn't be. But You know, it's it's a great experience for me because I grew up in a way that I missed out on childhood in ways that other people didn't, and it's it's so refreshing to me to be able to experience that with her at times, like to watch that joy and sort of get a feeling of it too, like wow, that really is so amazing that this thing happened or Mm -hmm. the discovery of this idea, and it's you know I can see the. I can see the fuse it lights or the the path that it's leading her down and it and it leaves me absolutely um, enamored of her and and of her willingness to ask questions and learn.
1: Yeah, man. Kids are a really great window into life. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, they ask probably the best questions
0: sometimes no like question. you said. Yeah,
1: really challenging when they come home from school um, mm-hmm. and it gets worse when they get to be in high school.
0: So oh, I can only imagine.
1: <laughs> hey, you had brought up NSA. Are you a member of any or were you a member? Number one, that's my first question of any formal speaker associations. And for the new speaker listening to this interview, Dave, would you recommend somebody go ahead and jump into any type of formal uh, like NSA or speaker organizations?
0: You know, I, I'm a life, a lifelong member of Toastmasters. I've been in Toastmasters since I was probably 20 years old. Um, I'm not necessarily as active as I used to be, but I, I support the organization. I think every speaker should go through the first three levels of Toastmasters. You should, you know, go through the bronze, silver, and gold. Hmm. It will make you a better speaker. It will the, the fundamentals of dictation, the fundamentals of preparing, the fundamentals of timing, it's crucial. Every speaker should do that. Every speaker should support Toastmasters. Mm-hmm. Um, NSA, I have a love-hate relationship with. Um, I've been a member in the past. There's not a chapter in Idaho. If there was, I, I couldn't honestly say, Sam, that I would be a member right now, but yeah. but I might. I don't know. Um, I've looked at starting a chapter here, um, but the NSA is focused on the NSA. They're not really focused on speakers. So, the NSA is focused on building a bigger organization and they are focused on helping people create canned speeches that sound the same. Every NSA speaker who's been through NSA speaker training sounds like every other NSA speaker you've ever heard. Yeah. And, and I find that troublesome because if you're going to be a speaker earning at the highest levels, you have to have a message that's different than the 50 other people if you're going to charge fifteen or twenty thousand dollars for a talk, which is where I charge now, if your if your talk sounds like a talk that you can get for twenty five hundred dollars, you're not staying in that fee range very long. Yeah, and you're not going to get invited back because you're going to get other people who'll come in, do it cheaper, and then it commoditizes the industry and makes it bad. So, so the NSA, I think, is it, it can be good. To make some connections with other speakers, to find out about what stages people are on, but ultimately, it's a very self-serving organization, and I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, I've, I've belonged to other speakers' organizations in the past. Um, Larry Benet has an organization called Saying the Speakers and Authors Networking Group. Um, you know, I, I, when Chet Holmes started that organization, I was a part of that in the beginning. Um, and that was probably one of the more useful ones in terms of being, you know, making connections to get on paid platform, not paid platforms, but selling stages where you, where you sell from the stage, um, and to make connections with other speakers there. But ultimately what I find is that I've developed masterminds and groups of people that I work with, um, who, you know, are very mutually beneficial and supportive. So I might find somebody like you and four or five other guys like us, and we, we'd we meet once a month. We'd talk about stages we have been on, share intelligence, talk about, um, you know, about fee structures, talk about organizations that we'd spoken to, introduce each other to places that, you know, if I know they're not bringing me back next year, or even if they are and they have multiple speakers, I would say, Sam, I think your message would be a great fit. Let's, you know, let me introduce you to the... Um, You know, to the the learning and development person who is there and let's get you connected in this organization because I think it'd be really useful. And those kind of things I find are often much better. Yeah, Um, I'm a a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization and a a past president of our Idaho chapter. Um, Entrepreneurs Organization is a very powerful organization um, for entrepreneurs who are doing over a million dollars a year in revenue. But even if you're not doing over a million dollars in revenue, it's a powerful platform. The Entrepreneurs Organization, Vistage, and the Young Presidents Organization all hire speakers regularly.
1: Hmm. So
0: if you speak at a if if you speak at a local chapter, they put you in their speakers database, and then you can start leveraging that. You know, like with um, with the Entrepreneurs Organization, there's 400 chapters worldwide. Uh, I've spoken at tons of them. Um, I've spoken at their national conventions. I've spoken at their universities. So. Being in those kind of groups, I think, are better than necessarily saying I'm going to run out and join the NSA, which is, you know, by far and away the the largest speaking organization in the U.S. And there's a, there's a bunch of other ones as well. But but ultimately, you know, Toastmasters join it. It's like twenty five dollars or fifty dollars a year now. I don't remember. It's ridiculously expensive. Get engaged and get involved there because the other thing about Toastmasters is a lot of corporations send their their training people there or their Managers there are learning to speak and need to speak. And so you get a lot of great connections there. Everyone from politicians to to CEOs to people who can hire you. And they get to see you there, hear your message, and say, that would be a good fit. I've gotten hired out of Toastmasters and by Toastmasters dozens of times and so it's a really great organization that way hope yeah. that answers your question
1: yeah no that's great advice man i've often wondered about those organizations i'm not a member of any of the ones that you had named i mainly sell from the platform and have done keynotes as well um but i find it fascinating that you've done so many in your career and i guess the question i would have if i'm brand new getting into this keynote business or even selling from the platform but mainly a message um My Lord, I'm not Dave Lacani. I mean, I didn't grow up in a cult. I certainly don't have any, you know, wild story. It's certainly that interesting. How do I, what do I do? I'm sitting in a cubicle right now and I want to become an entrepreneur, number one, but I want to become a speaker mainly. And I want to share my message and I want to inspire people to do what it is that I'm talking about. But man, how do I get anything even remotely interesting? Do I I talk about my past? Do I talk about my future, where I'm going? Um, You know, and I know that's a really vanilla 30,000 foot question, but can you kind of put yourself in, the, in, the, in somebody's shoes that's just getting started in this industry thinking, how the hell do I even craft a message, man? What do I talk about?
0: Right. It's a, it's, it's a great question, Sam. And it's, uh, it, it's probably one of the most relevant questions anybody can ask. And I spend a lot of my time training and coaching speakers who have that very question. And that's where we start. What's your yeah. story? Everybody has a powerful story. And most people just don't think of their lives in terms of the story that they have. Or they, they've developed a particular level of subject matter expertise, and that's the story. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there's a storytelling format that I teach, and it's based on Joseph Campbell's um, Hero's Journey. And every, everybody who, everyone who is a speaker should read the Hero's Journey. And they should, it's Joseph Campbell's seminal work, it's, it's, the, it's foundational for every speaker. You should definitely read that book. But at the end of the day, we all have a story. We all have a story of where we came from. And listen, you know, I, I happened to grow up in a cult. But if you substituted cult for dysfunctional family or, you know, crazy little town that I grew up in or funky little high school. I mean, they've, we've all got these stories and yeah. we've all got these hooks, right? Yeah. So the, the trick is to ferret those things out and tie it back. To what you want to talk about. So if you you know you you pick a topic that you want to talk about, and I could find your story in that topic, right? I could say, okay, let's let's figure out. And I would start by saying, let's figure out why that's important to you. Why do you want to? You know, because like I said, I I, I don't I don't consider myself a parenting expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I do parent differently than than most people, and I have a very specific story for why I do that and what I believe in. Because your beliefs are also another place you start to find those stories. And so if I, you know, if I wanted to really reinvent myself to tomorrow and say I want to start speaking on some other topic completely, I would, I would talk on parenting because I love the, I love the idea of developing kids into their, you know, developing their maximum potential early. And yeah. and I abhor the idea of helicopter parents and what it does to children. So you know, so I've got these two sort of ideas right there that are the basis for a powerful story. And the question I would ask myself is why? Why is this important? Why is it important to me? Why is my message important to my audience? And that why is going to help me build out that story. So if I can figure out, you know, what it is that I really have to say. And most people, where they get stuck, Sam, is they, they don't really have anything to say. They, they really like the idea of being on stage and being loved. Yeah. And, you know, and people paying attention to them and people admiring them and all of those things. And it looks so fun. But the, the challenge with it is, is, is that if you're not willing, you know, to really figure out what the story is, make it completely, and I hate the word relevant, but make it completely relevant to the people that you're speaking to, you're probably not going to have a lot of success. Yeah. Because, you know... Everybody if you just want to be admired and loved and feed your ego, this is the hardest way in the world to make a living and it's a tremendous amount of work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not that you don't get loved and not that you don't get your ego fed. But on the flip side of this, Sam, I, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said I was stupid, this is ridiculous, <laughs> you suck, you know, oh my God, I can't believe you said the wrong word. Mean. Yeah. You're, you know, I don't like the way you look. Yeah. You know, you offend me because you said something that offends my religion.
1: Yes, yes. I've if got if
0: I had, you know, if I had a dollar for all those things, I'd stop speaking tomorrow. Yes. And if you don't have a pretty thick skin and you can't take those things, you're not going to do well in this business. So if you're, you know, when you're looking at your story, if your story isn't really strong, you know, if the story isn't something that, like, you know, what this is so important and I'm so passionate about it that that passion is going to flow through. Then you're not going to connect with the audience, and you're telling the wrong story. Pick another one. Pick something else you're passionate about, or stay in the cubicle until you have something to do.
1: Now you had mentioned the message, so we've got the message, which is great advice. I, I think you're dead on, dead spot on. With take a take a, take inventory of where you've been and uh, your own intellectual property and your own uh, as simple as parenting as you talked about. Which there's nothing right. simple about parenting, but boy, what a great topic that is. Especially turns
0: out that's true
1: in the digital age, my God, you know, yeah. going through your kid's phone and reading text messages and Instagram yeah. and all, all that stuff. But so I'm Sam Crowley, student, Dave Lacani, speaker coach. And I said, okay, Dave, I've got my message. Now where's the audience that I'm passionate about being a parent. I want to go talk about parenting and parenting in the digital age, especially where do I go? Who's going to pay me? I'm, I'm a nobody. I don't have the name you have.
0: Right. And so, so the, the answer to that is, you start out easy. You start out first. You start out by doing something as simple as creating little videos that you post online in your blog or that you post on Facebook. You start developing a following. The only way that it works to be a speaker is if you have a following. And so you start developing this following by writing blog posts, by doing little videos, you know, and and you can find, you find these opportunities wherever you're at to create these videos that have very salient points based around what it is that you want to talk about. And you start posting that material. Then you start looking around in your you know in your organiza- or in, in your area and saying, who can I talk to? who, who would want to hear this message? So um, if I were going to start talking about parenting tomorrow, let me do, I'll just ask you this question. If you had to find the, the greatest group of parents um, in one place where they would probably want to hear parenting advice, where would you look first, Sam?
1: Uh, school, PTA church, something like that?
0: Yeah, exactly. that's exactly right. So churches have lots of parents. PTAs, lots of parents, schools, lots of parents. So those are areas, and then I would start looking at it and saying, okay, how can I focus a message around this, and what is it that would be relevant to them? So let me. I'm going to back up to my cult story for a little bit. And when I when I first left the cult, like I, you know, there were there were people who knew what was going on, and they would ask me about it, and they'd say, oh, would you come talk to my church about this and tell them what was going on? And I would talk to anybody that would listen because I, you know, this was crazy town, and I needed to tell somebody. (laughs) And So, but, but what I really realized is that I was also trying to, to convert the converted. Right. And so I would go and I would say, and you know, here's what went on in this crazy church that I grew up in. And if you believe any of this nonsense at all, you're crazy too. And you need to really reexamine yourself. Mm -hmm. And and then, you know, what I realized is that was really great. I got the free meal and a few bucks, but I Mm -hmm. never got invited back. Right. So the message didn't match the audience. And so what I would have to do is I would have to, it, and, and what I finally realized is, listen, I, A, I don't really have an ax to grind with these people. I'm not here to convert anybody to anything. That's not my deal, but I'll, I'll I'll point out obvious fallacies or problems as I see them. And and the second thing that I realized is what they really wanted to hear was a, a message that supported what they believed, not what I believed, right? They didn't want me to convert them. They were at church. They'd already been converted. They didn't want me to try and convert them to anything else, Right. So they were happy there. What they wanted was something that underlined their belief and made them feel stronger in who they were. And that's the same thing if I were going to go out and do parenting. So if I were going to go, you know, I don't spend a lot of time talking at churches because that's not my audience now. But if I were going to go out and talk about parenting, it would be one of my audiences. So I would make sure that I crafted a message that was relevant to those people and that was also congruent with my beliefs. And we would all be good. They would walk away saying, oh, my God, that was a great Talk, I really loved it. I learned a lot, and nobody would be offended. They wouldn't walk out of there going, "Well, Dave doesn't believe what I believe," or "Dave said that I was bad because of of what I'm doing." And you know, where where I had I had a seminal moment about this actually around parenting. So I, um, EO hires, like I said, a lot of speakers, and they brought in they brought in this guy who was Mormon and. And quite frankly, I'll be brutally honest. I thought this guy is not going to have anything to say that I'm going to find even remotely. Yeah, I don't care if he's raised twelve kids, and and he had. Um, he's not going to have anything to say that's going to resonate with me because it's not. You know, I'm not Mormon. Number one, yeah. and number two, he's just going to come in with a bunch of, this, you know, crazy talk that I'm going to disagree with. But I'm going to go anyway because I was a learning director uh, elect, and so I said, well, I, I need to be at these events, so I went. And as it turns out, the guy didn't promote Mormonism at all. Um, He actually did have really great advice about things that made me think about raising children. Like one of the ideas that he gave me was um, instead of, you you know, that instead of giving your child an allowance uh, the way most people do it or saying, you know, here's some chores, you can do these things. He said, you know, there's there's here's the deal. You get paid for going to work every day. You get money for that. Your child should also get money for the things that they do in the house just like you get for going to work. And if you don't go to work one day, you don't get paid. So if they don't do their jobs some days, they don't get paid. So you take all of the money that you spend on your child in a a week and you average it out over the months and say, okay. So and and this was was hard for me to do because Austria was eight years old when I heard this. He said, okay, how much are you really spending a week? Well, if I'm honest on how much do I spend on clothes and all those things for Austria in a week, then it's you know it it was a fair amount. You take 60% of that and you give it to the child and say, okay, you're now responsible for all your own clothes. You're responsible for not all of your clothes. I mean, they won't buy underwear and socks and stuff like that, so that's why you only give them 60%. But you're responsible for buying your clothes. You're responsible for your own entertainment. You're responsible for these things. And the way you get this 60% of the money is by doing these tasks that we agree on. And so when Austria was eight years old, she was getting around a hundred bucks a week. Wow. And she was responsible for buying. And, and, you know, the hardest thing to do was not let her miss, for for me to stop her from making mistakes. Mm -hmm. But I took that idea from a guy who I thought that I would never get something from. And it's, and we still do that today. It's powerful. Mm. You know, so, so I, so when I looked at that, I learned a really strong lesson that underlined, Hey, this guy has an important, critical conversation to have with people you know, he's leading with having been all of these things related to his church, but he never said a thing about his church. And he never said a thing about his religious convictions or anything else. He just talked about, you know, what it was like to be a parent and what it was like to be a dad raising these kids. And, and it connected with me as a person. And the result was that I've, I've recommended this guy's books. I've recommended his talks. I've gotten him hired probably a dozen times since then. And it's all because he had such a a, a talk that connected with me at a deep personal level and that was relevant to me at the time. So if I was those people who are out there looking, I would say, where are the people at? What is the message I need to deliver in a way that's going to connect with those people regardless of their creed, faith, belief, anything else, that's just going to connect with them at the most base level around this idea or around this area that I'm a subject matter expert in And then I'm going to go ask them if I can talk to them. You're going to do some talks for free, and you should, in the beginning, to craft your skill, to craft your message. You need, you know, if this were software, this would be your alpha test, right? Not even your beta. This is your alpha. You're getting out there. You're putting the material out. You're figuring out your timing. You're doing all this stuff. This is why comedians and all these kinds of people work these, you know, backwoods bars and clubs when they're working on new material because they've got to get it all down. And then, once you've got it down, that's when you can start asking for more money and more money specifically but don't don't spend too much time getting it down or speaking for free. Spend time on the quantity and the quality of your practice and your focus and your analysis of what you've done so that you can move it to the next level as quickly as possible.
1: yeah, that's great advice because speaking is. You know, the good news is it's a very low barrier to entry. I mean, all you need to do is talk. I mean, it's not right. you know, hang a shingle outside and call yourself a speaker. Now, the bad news is there's a low barrier to entry. Everybody and their brother and sister want to be or say they are a speaker. So when you say to get out there and speak for free, I agree and endorse it a thousand percent. Yeah, you know, I shared this story with the people inside the group, but I'll share it with you, give you the Reader's Digest version. You know, I had started out on this sell from stage uh, journey in 2010, and I was... I was on airplanes to Chicago and LA and you know how it is, Dave. Somebody says, Hey, I get 300 people in a room and you show up and there's 15, you know, people sitting there and none of them paid and they're all looking at their watch. You know, when can I get out of here? But there was in between that time period, October or uh, August of 2010 through May. In May, I flew to Orlando, same thing on my own dime, spent about 1500 between airfare and hotels and everything. And there was 20 people there and probably five of them were speakers. So there's probably 15 people in the room that could have even bought my product on podcasting. And I still brought my A game. I I spoke like I was in an arena with 20,000 people, even though my mind was telling me, man, that you got to give this up soon, buddy. You're just, this is going nowhere fast. You got kids. And there was somebody in that room, Dave, that uh, was with Peak Potentials in, in Australia, in Asia. Just happened to be there, like sitting in the room and asked if I could come to Australia. I said, my God, that was the most amazing presentation, so full of energy and podcasting. Who's ever heard of that? Can you come to Sydney, Australia? I was like, yeah, but I don't even know where the hell that is. you know." And so I went to Sydney two months later and then got booked to speak in LA a month after that and sold 150 grand from stage. And that was it, you know, all because I showed up to a room with 15 people and The energy level you and I have right now on this Skype call is 10 times higher than what was in that room, you know? Right, right. And so the thought of speaking for free and traveling, I know it sucks and I know sometimes you're going to question, but don't question that. Look at it as if you're getting just one more step closer to that big break because in this industry, man, it really is a war of attrition. Wouldn't you agree?
0: It's completely a war of attrition. And, And the other thing that I would say in context to what we were just talking about is that you know people say you know you say there's a low barrier to entry and there is but the investment with a low barrier to entry is very high mm-hmm. because you're investing your time your energy and your own money in you know in in speaking and doing these things to to build your craft it's one of the few industries where you don't have to have any specialized skill yeah. in order to in order to do this but it's also the biggest misnomer to say that you don't because you really do need a specialized skill and that's to hone your craft you know if you if you look at what I've done, for example, and, and I can only speak of myself because I know what I've done, over the years, I mean, besides studying persuasion, salesmanship, and all that thing, which made me very, very effective from stage, you know, when I was working on selling platforms and that kind of thing, it put me on, you know, in, until until Austria was about five years old, I was on the road 200 days a year plus wow. uh, on every continent except Antarctica every year, and I've been to 126 countries now, presented, you know, to groups from twenty thousand to five, and it's you know it's amazing. But to do that, you know, I've done I've done a lot of things that other people wouldn't. I've studied hypnosis, I've studied NLP, I went and studied um, comedy so that I could learn how to how comedy timing works and how those things happen. And then I went and worked in comedy clubs in L.A. and Salt oh, Lake City. no, State. kidding! That's yeah, awesome. absolutely. Just to <laughs> Just so that I could learn how humor worked, like I had to get that part down, so that it, so that it really worked for me.
1: Hey, what's that I, like, man? Real quick, what's that like doing stand up, improv type stuff?
0: It's brutal. It's <laughs> it's the worst thing ever. It's you're not as funny as you think you are, <laughs> no, and kidding, uh, right? it's but but at the same time, you you learn what makes people laugh. Yeah. And so you so there's a difference between being funny and making people laugh. Did
1: you get booed or heckled or anything?
0: Oh God, yeah, all the time. Oh, and and that that would you know that I mean that that gird your loins for the the little things that happen when you're speaking to a pretty friendly crowd. And- I'm not sure
1: I could do that sober. I think I'd have to have a couple drinks before I got up on
0: doesn't hurt it doesn't hurt and it, you know it it's also a good thing to leave out the back door not the front door <laughs> you don't want to get in a slugfest on the way out cuz some drunk guy was pissed that you wasted his time but uh, you know it's uh, it, but it, but it was good for me i mean it was yeah. really really good for me i did a lot of improv classes and and things like that so that i could learn how to leverage my body on the stage properly you know i took um, i took camera skills classes so that i learned how to stand on a stage, where to stand on a stage. I did uh, voice coaching for years. Um, I used to do voiceover work as well, but I did voiceover co- I did voice coaching so that I could learn how to not only use my voice properly but to protect my voice because I go through a lot of range in my in my voice when I'm on stage from you know from yelling to talking softly. yeah if you haven't if you haven't conditioned or trained your voice for that and if you haven't conditioned or trained your voice to speak every day, 200 days a year you know and and it's not just speaking on stage and and you're well aware of this Sam you know you're in a room with 1500 or 2000 people and then you're done talking and then you're in the hallways the rest of the day you may talk to every one of those people for a few minutes you've spent literally 12 or 14 hours a day talking and then you've got to talk on stage again the next day if your voice isn't prepared for that you lose it. You know and what's so, funny?
1: Your voice and your body because um Absolutely. I never realized this. You but that's an amazing point. When I spoke when I started speaking regularly, I noticed I would lay down in a hotel room after speaking, and you're right, all the time is spent in the foyer in the lobby talking to everybody that's there, which is which is what you want to do. That's why they're there to see the speaker. But my from my knees to my ankles were like throbbing. And I figured oh, yeah. out real quick I need a new pair of shoes if I'm gonna get in this business, you know.
0: Yeah, you know what, and and so so the things that, that you also should invest money in, I mean like really, and, and shoes, it's, it's funny you would mention that. I mean I've spent literally at this point tens of thousands of dollars on shoes trying to find a good pair of shoes that works for me. And guess what, I couldn't tell you what pair to buy because <laughs> the pair that works for me probably won't work for you. Because you're always standing, you're walking. You're constantly you know? standing or walking and you're standing on the worst conditions, you're standing on concrete floors. Yep that have thin carpet over them where you're standing on stages that are not well-constructed for people to stand on for long periods of time. And, and it, it destroys over time your knees, your ankles, and your low back. And yeah. so if you're not taking care of yourself, which I didn't for a long time, I had a, I had a thyroid problem for a long time. So when you saw me last, I was big. I was 300 pounds. Oh, wow. And, uh, and I finally got that fixed, and now I'm, I'm, I'm about 200 pounds. No kidding. And, wow. Yeah. And, so, which is, and, and honestly, I'm probably about 20 pounds overweight now. So I should be probably 20 pounds lighter, and then I'd be, I'd, I'd be right where I should be. But you know the, the point is, though, is that you want to invest money in, in quality equipment. And so you know, the, the quality equipment is investing money in a gym membership when you're at home investing money in your diet so that you look good and you feel good because if you're not prepared to travel, if you're not, you know, to have even the energy that you have on this phone call, it's not because you treat your body like crap and that you, you know, that you eat cheeseburgers every day and that kind of thing. I mean, you take care of yourself. That's important. And it's, it's important when you show up on stage for, because people are looking for someone to, to emulate Mm -hmm. and nobody wants to emulate Chris Farley, the motivational speaker.
1: Boy, that's amazing! You brought that up because I I almost asked this question a number of times on social media, but was afraid to, and I didn't want to offend anybody. But do you? And I, I already think I know the answer based on what you said. But I, it's pre, people are probably more apt to purchase from a speaker who is in shape versus somebody who you just described, Chris Farley.
0: There, there's absolutely no question, and yeah. and, and it's not just it's not observational psychology; it's actual research. So, yeah, here's the thing. Here, here's the three things: smart people. Uh, I'm sorry. So, so skinny people make more money than fat people. Tall people make more money than short people. Skinny people make more money than fat people. Hmm. And so, and pretty people make more money than ugly people. Yeah. You know. So it's just, and and all of those things are sort of subjective, except the weight part, right? I mean, so, so there, there's a couple of things. So I used to be a professional fighter as well. That was one of the things that I did shortly after I... Can we left. just
1: talk about the things you haven't done? Maybe, <laughs> maybe that'd be so, a shorter call.
0: But, but I ended up, I, you know, I ended up with, like, <laughs> cauliflower ears and stuff. And so I had these big, nasty cauliflower ears. And, you know, what I noticed is, like, somebody was really honest with me one day. And they're like, dude, you're kind of scary looking with those ears. I mean, it just freaks people out and we can't have you in our company. Talking because it just you know it makes you look like something that doesn't match our culture, and I was like, "Wow, really honest, thank you." Yes, Um, and and I really thought about that, and then I spent about twenty thousand dollars having my ears fixed. And guess what? My speaking fees went up almost immediately. People were like, "Oh yeah, wow, we love Dave. He's great." And I was like, "Holy crap!" People really did have this bias. I never thought about it. Right? Same thing happened when I lost a bunch of weight, even though I had a, a reasonable medical explanation for why. I gained this weight, it didn't matter, right? People have their biases. And here's the thing. For most people, even when they say, oh, I'm just a few pounds overweight, if you think you're a few pounds overweight, you're probably way overweight. Mm -hmm. And you need to to lose some weight. If you're going to be a speaker, because let's think about this for a minute. Chances are very high they're recording what you're doing, which makes you look even heavier. They're broadcasting it oftentimes now, on Periscope, on Skype, on a webinar, whatever. And you're using cameras that are not the greatest cameras in the first place, which they they add way more than 10 pounds. They distort your features anyway, so you're going to look different. So you need to be in good shape and take care of yourself, but but not even for those reasons. The biggest reason is to extend your career as long as you can. Because I'm going to tell you right now, once you start, once you hit a level of success and people who listen to you and are working with you are going to hit this level of success – when that happens over time, it, it, it takes a big toll on your body. Listen, I'm telling you right now, when you're on airplanes, mm-hmm. 200 days a year, when you're sleeping in hotel beds that range from you know luxury hotel beds to some of the crappiest ones you'll ever sleep in. Yeah, you know when you end up spending a lot of time sleeping in airports or you know those kind of things, you're, it, it takes a toll on your body. If you're not working out, if you're not eating healthfully, and if you're not you know, consistently having a practice of, you know, detoxifying your mind through whether it's meditation or any other practice you have like that, you're, you're going to limit the amount of time you're going to, you're going to be able to speak because a couple of things will happen. Number one, your body will give up. And number two, your mind will give up. You'll just be like, this isn't worth it. You'll have those moments where you, you know, where you and I both been, you just described where you're in that room of five people and you're saying to yourself, Mm -hmm. something else, I've got kids, blah, blah, blah. And you'll forget that there might be that one person in the room, and you put on that poor performance, and that's the downward spiral. So take care of yourself. Spend your money on 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 your health. Spend your money on exceptional clothes that mark you out differently from everyone else, and that last and travel well. Spend your money on exceptional shoes, and then the equipment that you buy. If you're going, you know, buy the best equipment you can that's going to work. In any situation, right? Don't buy a four hundred dollar laptop. Spend the money on the one that's going to work consistently every time. Bring all of your own equipment with you. So the only thing I don't bring with me when I go to speak is typically a projector. Yeah. Because everything else, look, I don't care if, if, if everything fails that you have, I got you covered. Mm-hmm. I've got I, I've got a lab mic in my bag. I've got Connectors for every kind of arcane piece of equipment you can think of that can hook my laptop to your equipment. I, you know, I've got I've looked at the hotel chains. I, I mean, I've got this stuff with me because I know what goes wrong. So I probably literally have four or five thousand dollars worth of equipment in a backpack with me beyond my notebook, just because I'm going to make sure that I can solve the problems that are going to happen that I know about. Yeah. You know, we you, you can't record this, but you meant to. No problem. Guess what? I've got a camera that'll record it. It's not as good as your big, you know, mounted camera in the back, but it'll do the job. I've got a recorder that will record the audio, and we can do that. No worries. I'll solve your problems for you, and that's part of being a professional.
1: That's great advice. Um, I can't tell you about the health, man. You're you're dead on. It literally before we jumped on this call, I, I just fin- and I'm not even a runner. I would never even tell anybody I'm a runner, but I ran eight miles, and I'm sitting here with a gallon of water. And that's it- awesome. I feel amazing, man. I'm 47, and I feel I'm in the greatest shape of my life, and I want to be. Of course, I had a daughter last year, which really shakes you up because now I'm turning into like the Frank Gifford of Ohio, having kids, <laughs> and, having kids into my 70s. You know, but yeah, right. you know, you got to think about this stuff, and also professionally speaking, you know, we're we're entrepreneurs. I'm a solopreneur, so there's no boss or anybody telling me, "Hey, you got to get up, you got to get going." I mean, I was up at 3:45 a.m. this morning, not because I oh, I. Just, I went to bed at 9.30, man. I get six hours of sleep. I felt amazing. So I said, what, what, well, yeah, you know, why the hell not? Let's just get up at 3.45 and start the day. Maybe I'll catch a 15-minute nap here or there. But when you do what you love to do, man, I don't know. It's just something turns that button. It flips the switch, and you're always on. I'm not on. I'm Absolutely. not – like it's not 24-7 where I'm like, oh, my God, life is amazing. My wife already hates how positive I am anyway about stuff. <laughs> but it really is a sense of accomplishment that you don't have to cash a check from somebody else, and you can do this career – um i just think that's great advice let me ask you a question about demos um mm-hmm. i'm sam crowley the student dave laconda the coach dave i've got no b-roll i've got no video of me on stage everybody's asking to see video of me speaking mm-hmm. um should i put a video on youtube kind of introducing myself how, do i do something in my with some lighting in my basement i mean how can i get some video of me because it's the chicken or the egg you got a video plan? no have you spoken no but i need to speak to get the video
0: Yeah. The best way to do it is to find a sympathetic crowd that'll let you talk and record it, you know, and don't, don't necessarily, if it's not a big crowd, if it's only 10, 15, 20 people, don't, don't worry about it. But just video it in a way that you can see, you know, make everybody set right up front, video it in a way that you can just see the people up front and see you clearly. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you've, you know, that you've invested in renting or owning some equipment that will actually allow the audio to go from your microphone into the camera itself, and then spend a little bit of money and have somebody edit that. Do it in the best light you can, yeah. right? And, and by light, I don't mean like I'm not saying that metaphorically. I'm saying literally light. Right, you know, right. make sure that you're in a good, well lit place, and that you can, and, and then give your talk. and And you gotta you gotta pour your heart out. But then edit edit it so that you get the very best pieces, your key points, your most salient points. Where How long really, should it be, Dave? Uh, you know, most most speaker reels shouldn't be more than about five to 10 minutes. Okay. And it's, you know, you'll, you'll eventually have all you want and people will put videos of you up speaking on, on YouTube and that kind of thing and you can find it. But it's, it's vitally important to get that as quickly as you can. And if, you know, I, I don't care if I had to buy people lunch Invite a bunch of people and buy them lunch so that I could do the talk to get the video I would. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's that important. Yeah.
1: That's great advice. That reminds me of a friend of mine, Sally. She's a comedian and she lives here in Cincinnati. She rented out our church and brought, like you just said, a bunch of people in, a bunch of friends, probably 50 to 60 people because she needed video of her doing her comedy routine. Right. And she hired the church because every church, more of the, you know, even the smaller ones have video guys, AV guys. Sure. Now. And got it professionally done. And I never thought about that until you just said that. And there was only the only headshots you could see of the audience were the ones that were in the first two or three rows, which is really all you see anyway, unless you're at a huge event and they want to show you how huge the event is. But that's great advice. I didn't even think about that. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. Hey, let me ask you one last question before we wrap it up. I'm curious. You've been speaking for so long. We have talked a lot about keynotes and um, all that good stuff, which is great advice because all the interviews I've done, we really haven't focused a lot on it on keynotes. So that was really, really good. I even took notes. Um, Selling from the platform, what's your biggest day? Like, was it an hour, 90 minutes? What's the most revenue you've driven from the platform? And and why was that? How did it happen? What was the magic there?
0: Uh, My my best day ever was about $375,000. Um, wow. From the platform, and that's I, I, and and then the guy behind me did a million. Oh my God. And so then I felt like a piker. <laughs> but uh, um, you know what really allowed me to do it, it was a couple of things. Number one, it was you know it was good timing. Um, it was the right crowd. I had a very I had a very strong message that uh, resonated with them. I had a number of packages. I didn't just sell one thing. So I had you know I had I had three different packages people could buy.
1: Oh really? Um,
0: that were You know, one was, you know, one was like a, a, it was still high priced. It was a couple thousand dollars. And then I had like a mid range package for 5,000. And then I had another package that was 25,000 and, um, and, and, you know, exclusivity on the highest end packages, you know, only a certain number of people could do it and they had to, you know, join right then and that kind of thing. And, um, it was but but really it was also having craft, you, you don't have those days the first day unless you're just insanely lucky you know you you have those days because you've crafted your sales message you've really figured out exactly what it takes i mean we could spend literally 10 hours talking about how to craft order forms how to craft your pitch specifically you know how to get you know what what to do along the way to pre-sell people so that they're ready for these things um, talk about exclusivity, takeaway selling, all those kinds of things that you do on the stage in order to get people to actually say yes to the purchase. But at the end of the day, it's because you have you've created such a belief in people that you can help them get an outcome that they couldn't get on their own that they absolutely need. That you ultimately have those kind of days.
1: Yeah! Wow, three hundred and seventy-five thousand bucks, man. That's a, that's a lot of money.
0: In the you know in the heyday and, and and selling platforms have changed. They're starting to come back some, but they changed a lot. But in the heyday, it wasn't uncommon. I, I mean, it was you know, it, it was a pretty poor weekend if I didn't sell at least a hundred thousand dollars.
1: Wow. That's pretty amazing, man. And that's inspiring too for people to to understand that those days are possible. Um, you know, you've also written a number of books. The ones I can think of Subliminal Persuasion, Power yep. of an Hour, How to Sell When Nobody's Buying true persuasion Those the things. art of
0: getting what you want
1: yep persuasion the art of getting what you want um i was on amazon i was checking you out a few days ago because i knew we were going to do this interview as well how do people get in touch with you dave i know it's boldapproach.com. is that right
0: boldapproach.com is my yeah that's sort of my my group site i'm, I'm gonna tell you this yep. because because it's you sam and because i know you and i know what you're trying to do for these people and i i've seen how much you give everybody if they will send me an email and, and, and in the subject line they've got to say sam sent me send me an email at dave at boldapproach.com. That's my private email address. All right. I will put you in a special group that is just people that, I, that typically pay me. Um, it's my one of my coaching groups. I'll put you in a newsletter group there, and I'll send you out the material that I send them as I send it out. And uh, you can you can stay in touch with me that way.
1: Great. So look for an email from Sam Crowley that says, Sam sent me. Yeah, right. So I can be added to that group. Hey, that's very nice of you. That's Dave at bold Dave at bold Hey Dave, thanks so much. Let's not let another eight years go by.
0: <laughs> definitely not. No, we've definitely got to do that. And, uh, yeah. you know, if I can be a resource for anyone on this call, really do feel free to drop me a line. I, you know, I, I love nothing more than to see people who have a message that they're, you know, this have a burning desire to share, to get it out in a way that changes the world. I, I am absolutely fascinated by that and, and by the people who do it. And, you know, speaking has been such a gift to me. It's really provided an opportunity for me that nothing else has ever provided for me. And it's given me levels of fulfillment that, that really, you know, the only thing ever that's given me more fulfillment has been my daughter. And, you know, that's, I I want other people to have that experience as well. So if I can help, let me know and I'll do anything I can.
1: Yeah, man, I I I I really appreciate that, and I know you mean it. It's Dave at BoldApproach.com, Dave at BoldApproach.com. Dave, what's left? I mean, what is it that you want to do that you haven't done? or kind of wrap it up. Oh, there's this?
0: so there's so much to do. Anything that's you really know, gnawing at you? You know, yeah, there is. You know, it's uh, the the next thing that I'm doing is uh, it, it's a program called Now What's Next, and it's it's for people you know it's for people who have reached a certain level of success. Or they've reached a certain point in their life where they've said, you know, it, whether it's success or not, and they've kind of, there's like, I've done all this stuff, what's next? You know, mm-hmm. and what, what happens is we often see people reach a level of success in their business, and they've got all these things that, that are unfinished. You know, I've always wanted to, you know, ride a motorcycle around the world, or I've always wanted to, you know, help build a school in Africa, or I've always, you know, or... Yeah. I want to leave a legacy of some, some kind and I don't know what it is. And, you know, my, my real goal is to inspire those people. And so I'm building a program for people like that, that, that helps them get those things done finally. So what's next? And in, in our tagline is I'm what's next. So most of us have spent most of our time, you know, building businesses, raising families, helping our community, building our churches, whatever it is. And, you we we've we've not truly focused on ourselves and we've reached that time where we say okay it's time for me well that's what's next and so i'm i'm building that in a program that would be uh hopefully life changing for for many people so
1: Very cool man yeah i can resonate with that success without fulfillment's failure anyway so i mean right. at some point you got to be fulfilled so very cool man hey dave thanks so much i'll let you go i know uh we've tied you up for almost an hour now thank you so much it's dave lacani dave at bold dave at bold approach.com send him an email put sam sent me in the subject line to get added to his vip exclusive mastermind newsletter dave always a pleasure thanks so much
0: thanks sam for having me love talking to you all right buddy take care you too all right we'll see you